KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. The more we learn about the novel coronavirus, the more it appears that it can launch a multi-pronged attack on the body. One of the latest things that doctors report seeing is congealed blood and blood clotting in younger patients who have no underlying health issues. Dr. Pascal Jabour is chief of the Division of Neurovascular Surgery at Jefferson University Hospital. He and his colleagues have been looking into this, and Dr. Jabour has co-authored a paper outlining their findings. Dr. Jabour, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's start at the beginning. What were you seeing that alarmed you? So when this pandemic started, we started noticing a high incidence of COVID patients on patients presenting with strokes. What was unusual is uh, those patients were young, relatively young, with no risk factors for stroke. So patients in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. When you say you were seeing a a larger amount, can you give me an idea of of what that means? How much? For example, if you look at the incidence of COVID-positive patients, let's say in Philadelphia, it's around 1 to 1.5%. And when we start seeing patients with strokes coming to the hospital, we would expect a certain number of positive COVID patients according to the incidence of uh, COVID-positive patients in the population. So what we saw is a much larger number than what expected. And it turned out uh, when we looked back and we looked at patients from March 20th until April 10th, around 30 to 40 percent of the stroke patients were COVID-positive. And that shocked you? Yes. This was a really high number. We didn't expect to have uh, so many COVID-positive patients. Now, at the same time, uh, those patients are presenting with what we call large vessel occlusion. It means with a blockage of a major vessel in the brain. That's what's causing the stroke. And usually, patients with strokes, they present with one vessel that's occluded. Then we can go intervene and open it. But those patients, many of them had multiple vessels that's occluded. So that also was unusual. Another unusual finding was those patients were developing clots not only on the arterial side of the brain, but also on the venous side. We call it cerebral venous thrombosis. This is something rare. We don't see it. Usually the arterial side is much more common in general, but we start seeing a lot of young patients with clots in the veins of the brain. So can you give me kind of a, a basic kind of a primer, if you will, on on strokes, particularly what you just talked about for people who aren't really familiar with what a stroke is and what yeah. happens? Yeah. So the symptoms of, of a stroke are uh, when a patient starts having either not moving one side of the body or difficulty with the speech or visual problems or facial droop, those are all stroke symptoms. What happens is when a patient develops those symptoms, we have a small window to be able to intervene uh, and to reverse the stroke and to open up the vessel. 
And uh, what's causing those symptoms is when there's a lack of blood flow going to a certain area of the brain. And this is by one of the vessels that's blocked by a clot. What we would do is quickly, as I said, we have really a small window. We can go through the wrist, through the artery called the radial artery, the, the artery at the wrist. We can insert a catheter and then go up all the way to the brain and then re- try to retrieve this clot. So what were you seeing when you went to do this with stroke patients? What was happening? So uh, when we went to do this with the COVID patients, first we were seeing multiple clots in multiple vessels. Also, uh, in our paper, the mortality rate was 55%, which is very high. Usually, uh, the mortality rate in patients presenting with a stroke where we would do a procedure, uh, we call it mechanical thrombectomy, so when we go up and open the vessel, in general, the mortality rate is 10 to 15%. Here in our series, it was 55% because those patients were dying. We were opening the vessel, but those patients were dying from other reasons, from multiple organ failure from the COVID or from lung injuries from the COVID. We also saw some patients where we opened the vessels quickly, but they still ended up having strokes in multiple areas uh, of the brain. So all those are really things that we have never seen before and we started seeing now with the pandemic and with the patients presenting with with COVID. One of the things that when I was reading up on this is I saw now several accounts of doctors and nurses saying when they did a procedure like the ones you're talking about, some of them were talking about diet kidney dialysis, that they watched stroke, I mean, I'm sorry, they watched clots form in real time, and they said this was just bizarre. Yes, so there there have been reports of clotting all over the body. So, uh, and here I'm talking mainly about the brain, but yes, everything clots very, uh, very quickly. Now, why is that? There are multiple theories. One of them is the virus is causing an inflammation reaction, and there are some proteins that increases during the inflammation. Those proteins are called cytokines. Those proteins can uh, trigger the blood to clot. And that's one of the reasons. Another reason is uh, the inflammation uh, of the blood vessels of the brain. It's called vasculitis. So the virus can cause some kind of vasculitis and clots forming in, in those vessels. Did the patients who who were having these issues and were having strokes know that they had COVID coming in, or was this something they found out after they had the stroke? So 50% of the patients in our paper, the stroke was the first symptom of COVID. So those patients were at home. They weren't symptomatic. They didn't have any symptoms of COVID. Then they developed suddenly symptoms of stroke. So they came into the hospital, we intervened on them, and then we tested them and turned out that they are COVID positive. The other 50% are patients that were already in the hospital, very sick from COVID, on a ventilator, intubated, where they developed a a deficit and developed a stroke. Have you talked to your colleagues in other cities about what they're seeing? Yes. So when, when I first noticed that, uh, I started uh, calling my colleagues all around the country and a lot of them 
uh, noticed the same, uh, mainly in New York. And then we, I collaborated on the paper with uh, uh, physicians from NYU. Another thing we saw is patients are presenting to the hospital late with strokes. And this is because the people are scared of COVID. They don't want to go to a hospital. They are developing strokes, presenting late to the hospital. And as I said, we have a small window to be able to intervene and open the vessel. And unfortunately, those patients would come too late. That's why it is very important, and I want to send this message, that for whoever, you know, for anyone who develops any signs of stroke, they need to call 911 right away or go to an emergency room right away because we have a really a small window to save them. Do you find that people, you said people are waiting because, one, they're frightened, but I'm wondering if people don't, particularly because you're talking about much younger patients here, that they just don't realize what's happening. Uh, yeah, that's also a good point because, in general, young patients with no risk factors, uh, if they have any symptoms, they, they're not going to think right away they are having a stroke because, as I said, it's unusual for young patients to have strokes. So it could be that also those patients are maybe you know, ignoring those symptoms. How many patients are in your paper? Twelve. Okay. Now, knowing that we took the time from March 20th until April 10th, but after that, we had many more. I'm just trying to get an idea of, I know we're not talking about a particularly large subset of people. Is that correct? Would you say that's correct? Yeah. Yeah. So this is not, yeah, that's why, I mean, uh, again, this is in pandemics like that, things happen very quickly. So if we see something that's unusual or some tendencies that are unusual, uh, we should really keep our eyes open and then we should investigate and report right away. But again, we're not talking about a lot of patients here, but we're talking about a tendency that we saw. It's still too early to tell. I'm wondering if you think there are more patients than you realize because we have if people are, this is happening at home and we've heard stories of people dying at home and then perhaps we don't know that they have COVID or perhaps, you know, we don't know that the stroke killed them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, I think what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. And I think that uh, a lot of patients also are having uh, strokes, just simple strokes and dying from strokes. uh, And they weren't tested for COVID and so there are a lot of things happening that we, we really don't know. What we're talking about here is a, a population that really made it to a hospital where we looked at uh, all those uh, uh, variables on them. So and you also mentioned the cytokine storm. And usually when we hear that term, we're talking about patients who are severely ill and already in the hospital, which makes me wonder about these patients who didn't even know they had COVID and yet you're still saying there's enough, they have enough inflammation to be able to cause blood clotting and stroke. And that's what's scary in the whole situation. Yes, that those patients weren't very sick from COVID, but uh, it was severe enough that it caused some some clots. So, uh, And in those patients, the clotting happened early in the disease. Do you know why? Do you, I mean, I, this this disease just seems really hard to get so a grasp on. Still, yeah, yeah. There are still a lot of things that we don't know. We don't know why. You know, some patients would have the the COVID and that they, they wouldn't feel anything, and that and some patients would feel you know some mild symptoms. And as you know, some patients are dying 
from COVID, uh, not only uh, older patients with risk factors, we've seen uh, young patients also. So there are still a lot of things that we don't know. Just seems like it it attacks really the entire body in different ways in different people. Yes, yes. Now there are some. Uh, now we're talking about strokes, but there are some other. Uh, ways where the brain can be involved in, with COVID, which also we mentioned it in, in our paper. Uh, we've seen also uh, what we call encephalitis. It means infection, inflammation of the brain. So we have seen a case of encephalitis where the brain uh, like developed the encephalitis, but it was also due to COVID. So we think that uh, here it's not a vessel that's being blocked like in stroke, but in this case, Somehow the virus made it to the brain itself, not the vessels of the brain. So there are multiple theories. One theory is the blood is going through the uh, blood flow and then crossing to the brain. There's a barrier called the blood-brain barrier. And because of the inflammation, uh, this barrier becomes incompetent and the, the virus would cross to the brain and it can cause that. Another way the virus can get to the brain, and this also we've seen it in animal models, where the virus would follow, would go in the nose and follow the nerve of the smell. It's called the olfactory nerve. It will follow it all the way up to the brain. Now, we also know that the way the virus can infect a cell or can go into a cell, the virus would use some receptors that are already present uh, on the cell. There are receptors, and they are called the ACE2 receptors. Uh, we know that the, those receptors have affinity to the virus and the virus would block them. And those receptors are involved in regulating the blood flow to the brain. So if the COVID is blocking the receptor, it means uh, we're going to lose the autoregulation process. It means the regulation, how the body can regulate how much blood flow is going to the brain. This is affected. And if this happens, as you know, if there's no regulation of how much blood flow is going to the brain, we can swing both ways. Either you can have a lot increased blood flow where this can put the patient at the risk of a brain hemorrhage, the patient can leak blood in the brain, or it can put the patient at the risk of a stroke or lack of blood flow going to the brain. So how do you figure out what to do about this? Because I've read that uh, one of the protocols is to give patients blood thinners because of this, yes. this risk of clotting, but then if you're saying the virus inhibits the ACE2 receptors and that could cause bleeding. How do you know what to do? Yeah, exactly. So that's why, uh, I mean, uh, really it's going to be case to case and we need to look uh, into that. Giving blood thinners to patients as a prevention is something that could be done. But as you said, at the same time, uh, we need to be careful because Blood thinners may have side effects, and this is this would be bleeding in any other part of the body or the brain. Remember, those patients are very sick. They are on a ventilator in the ICU. They have sepsis, so they are at risk of bleeding. So we need to really know which patient to select. What a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, you, you must just... I can't imagine the difficulty that you and your colleagues are having in treating these patients when the disease can act so incredibly differently in each and every person. Yes, 
yeah, that's true. And it's it's very tricky. And we, we're seeing different things on different patients. And uh, we're trying really to figure out what's, what's happening. So are you not, have you changed your protocol then with COVID patients based on this, the blood clotting issue? I know some hospitals are giving, are yes, giving higher doses. Yes, yeah. we, have, yes okay. we have in some selected patients where they don't have any contraindication for blood thinners, we are giving blood thinners. So what is the conclusion then of, of your paper? So first of all, it's uh, mainly that this virus is not, uh, people think that the virus can affect the lung only, which is not true. This virus can affect the brain. It's, it's affecting the brain in a lot of patients that are young with no risk factors. It's causing strokes, brain hemorrhages. And uh, it's very important for the patients to consult right away and go to an emergency room or call 911 whenever they have stroke symptoms. It is very important for us now that we notice that to try to develop new protocols and hospitals need to develop new protocols and uh, think about uh, putting patients on blood thinners as a prevention. Again, it's still very early, but uh, there is a lot of room for trials to start, to start new trials and start some patients on blood thinners and compare them and see if they did better or if they had less incidence of stroke. So there's a lot of things that can be done. So that's the next step is to look at the yeah. At trials. Yeah. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for all the work you're doing, you and your colleagues. Thank you very much. Stay well. All right. Thanks. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic, or if you just want to know more than what you're hearing on the news right now, if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to know how this could change your life or your routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.